focusing on just two verses, verses 10 and 11. I'm going to read uh, this uh, from verses 7 through to 11. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through to 11, as we look at what is a vital, vital topic this morning, and that is the topic of serving. So why don't we read together, and then I pray for us. This is the living, breathing Word of God to us this morning, church. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the gift of your word. And we pray, Lord God, come Holy Spirit, soften our hearts to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I want to begin this morning by inviting you to imagine something. Uh, If it helps, you can close your eyes. But I want to imagine you'd imagine that you're visiting someone who's dying. Uh, You arrive at the hospice, you pull into the car park, you go in through the doors, you check yourself in, you enter the room, and family and friends are gathered around the hospice bed. The monitor beeps, the person's eyes are closed, their breathing is labored, their face is drawn and pale, A nurse walks in and informs everyone there's probably only hours left, but that they seem very comfortable. Now, I want you to imagine that the person lying on the bed is, in fact, you. You are just about to take your last breath. See, I can't tell you if your last moments will look like this. But I can tell you that one day you will breathe your last breath in this life. The only certainties in life, they say, are death and taxes. And yet we all know that if you're rich enough, you can avoid taxes. And so the only true certainty in life is, in fact, I put to you, death. That one day you will die. Yet our culture does not like talking or even thinking about death. This truth was made known in the recent Barbie movie, if you've seen it. Barbie has a life crisis because she's discovered a patch of cellulite, and so she starts naturally thinking about dying. And there's this uh, well-known scene where Barbie is at a party with all her friends partying away, and Margot Robbie, playing Barbie, who asks her friends... Uh, while they're partying on, is, do you guys ever think about dying? And of course, the answer is, of course not. 
and I would put to us, and neither do we. We endlessly distract ourselves from the reality that our lives on earth are like the flowers of the field, here today, gone tomorrow. See, we don't know whether our life will end in old age, surrounded by family, or something else. But for Christians, we only have two options, don't we? Either Christ returns, or we die to go to be with Christ. And because of the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we know that the end is near. We live in the end days. We live in the time between the ascension of Jesus and his second coming. And with the march of human history, that day has been drawing nearer and nearer and nearer. We don't know when, but we do know that today is the closest day that has ever been to it. See, Peter is trying to help these scattered Christian communities to know how they should live in light of the reality that the end of all things is drawing near. Above everything else, in verse 8, we read they are to love one another. That doesn't mean passionate feelings for one another, but passionately forbearing for, with, and caring for one another, and forgiving one another. Why? Because uh, we read love covers a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean love sweeps sins under the carpet, or just ignores it, or conceals it. It means that love doesn't respond in anger, or with dissent, or wrathfully, but that love bears the cost, and forgives and overlooks offenses and keeps on loving. And Peter is saying, as you face persecution and pressure, you must remember that Jesus is coming again and put loving one another, loving the church community as your highest priority. And Peter then outlines two practical applications to having this eternal perspective. Uh, the first one we looked at two weeks ago, that is to extend hospitality. Uh, here he's thinking in particular of welcoming Christians passing through their towns into their homes to stay, but in general, this posture of love and openness to love and welcome others. And the second encouragement he has is the topic of the sermon this week, and that is to serve one another. Uh, if you're taking notes, uh, I've entitled this message, Servants of the Lord, uh, but you could also call it, Jesus is Coming Soon, Part 2. Uh, if you're taking notes, we're looking at a classic three-parter this morning. Uh, but really, like, just one burden for us this morning, one area that I believe this text invites us to grow in, and that is that we would joyfully devote ourselves to serving one another for God's glory. I believe the burden of this passage is for us to have this joyful devotion to one another, to serve one another, the people primarily in this room for God's glory. Now, it's important as we begin this message to note that this is not a corrective message. The majority of the most servant-hearted people I know are part of this church community. I could give you example after example after example after example of radical service by people in this church that's often hidden and unseen without praise. But this is a message rather to take what we have and to fan it aflame for the sake of Christ. So let's dive right in to look at point number one, our servant identity. You know, this topic of service is so important for us to hear from God on because it really cuts against our consumer culture. You know, I was at Westfield just a couple of days ago. 
and you could just see the huge queues at the front of the Apple uh, store, and you guys will know why. It's because the iPhone 15 has just been released, and people are just flocking to get it. It's the iPhone. It's the culture of I that we live in. And this overflows into the deepest intuitions we have, even when it comes to looking for a church. Uh, We ask ourselves questions like, do I like the preaching? Are the people friendly? Are they like me? Does it look appealing? Is it successful? Is it going somewhere? Is it influential? Rare is the person who asks, do they have a lot of needs? Could I really serve them? Is this the best place I could serve others for Christ's glory? Even the word serve to us, it's kind of lost its edge in our culture. We're overly familiar with it. And in some settings, it carries prestige even with it. I don't know about you, uh, in the Willis household, we don't have any household servants uh, to sort of get a flavor for what this could look like. Uh, But I tell you, it's a menial role. Uh, Christianity has so shaped our culture, though, with, uh, so, in so many ways that serving in our culture is really considered still uh, as a virtue. Uh, we call people things like servant-hearted, uh, a servant of the people. That's actually a TV show uh, that stars uh, the current Ukrainian president, uh, Vladimir Zelensky, playing the part of the Ukrainian ple- uh, president, Uh, It's how he became famous in Ukraine. The servant of the people is, in fact, the president of Ukraine. Uh, In our culture, minister, the word just means servant. They're a highly respected uh, government official. A minister of religion. It's a servant of religion. It's a senior church official. But to serve in the Bible is simply similar in its basic meaning as in English. It means to provide assistance to someone else. And it's very rarely used to describe anything spectacular. It's often in the New Testament simply everyday things, like providing meals in Mark chapter 1, verse 31, or visiting those in prison in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, or providing financial support in Romans 15, 25, and just general helping, like in Acts chapter 19, verse 26. And it's also fundamental to our calling and identity as Christians. You may well be familiar with the famous scene of Jesus washing his disciples' feet in John chapter 13. It's Jesus on the night before he was crucified uh, where he was said to remove his outer garments and wrap a towel around his waist to fill a bowl with water and it is written that he washed his disciples' feet. And the meaning is somewhat lost on us. I think in our culture, we think, okay, a little gross, but kind of nice, kind of like a little Jesus mani-pedi maybe, something like that. And yet it was a picture of great humility for Jesus. John the Baptist had earlier in John's Gospel said, speaking of Jesus, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. And yet here is Jesus washing his disciples' feet. This was a task for the lowest-ranking slave in a household. And therefore, it's a picture of deep affection and care for his disciples. And just in case you thought this was simply a picture of a nice thing Jesus once did, John writes in John chapter 13, verse 12, the following. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. 
If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Humble, costly, ordinary, unapplauded and unnoticed service is at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Do you mind if I ask you a difficult question? Is that how you see yourself? That part of your fundamental calling as a Christian is to wash feet. That at the core of you, your new identity in Christ is the title servant. Can I press you a little bit more? Is that how you're living? Would those who know you best describe you as someone quick to offer your services in a way that is costly to yourself? Let's read our passage. Verse 10, the first part of verse 10, we read, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As each has received implies that everyone's received. We're not talking about things that apply only to one or some, but to all. And that word gift is the word charisma. It means a gift bestowed by God. We used to think of gifts in terms of spiritual gifts, the lists from Corinthians, like administration, generosity, mercy, speaking in tongues, faith, teaching, prophecy, etc. But there's no need to keep the list of gifts narrow. Charisma, a gift bestowed by God, means any gift bestowed by God. It seems right that we should include everything that God has given us. Good health, the energy and ability that enables you to serve, finances, the money that is in our bank accounts, property, our homes, investments, cars, computers, time, the spare time that we have, skills, the abilities that we've acquired through life experience, both financial or things like craft or cooking or gardening or building or teaching or managing or technological skills. How are we to use these gifts? To serve one another. Well, who is the one another that Peter is referring to? Well, the letter uh, of First Peter begins with this in, in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. This letter is addressed to churches, to Christian communities scattered throughout modern-day Turkey. Their very gifts have been given by God to help them lovingly serve the people in their church communities. Put another way, God has given them gifts, gifts like wealth and health and time and talent and treasure, so that, just like the Lord Jesus, they might wash the feet of their brothers and sisters in the church. You see, this way of thinking cuts deeply against the grain of our individualistic culture. Our individualistic culture is the air we breathe. We're so deeply affected by it, it's invisible to us. 
I love this quote from uh, David Foster Wallace, who was a famous uh, American author. And he says this, uh, speaking of the invisibility of culture, he says, there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? It's this idea of being immersed in something so much that you don't even know it's there. Well, how does our culture affect the way we think about gifts and serving? I think our deepest intuition as Christians in our culture is that our gifts and serving should be a pathway to self-fulfillment. What's the first question we usually ask when it comes to both career and serving in the church? It's what are you passionate about? What do you enjoy? Now, I'm not trying to suggest that passions are not an element to consider. We're all wired differently. And serving can be an absolute joy. But our enjoyment and passions are not the crucial elements. Honoring Christ and loving others are. So often if we don't enjoy serving in something or we find serving hard, our natural inclination is to say, I don't really think this is for me. And we look for something else. Is it possible that lacking joy in serving rather than a call to abandon serving, could be the call of Christ into deeper levels of self-denial and self-sacrifice for his glory? Is it possible that feeling something is hard, rather than a sign that something is wrong, might in fact be Christ calling you into a deeper level of faith, into a deeper level of maturity, into a deeper level of Christ-likeness? And don't hear me saying you can never change how you serve or that true serving must always be burdensome. I'm trying to help us see how our culture has shaped us. I'm trying to help us see how it's like water, it's invisible to us. I'm trying to give us new categories to evaluate the ways in which we serve. I hope you don't mind me asking a difficult question. What does it imply when our enjoyment becomes the crucial element in our willingness to serve? Well, I put to us that it says we are serving for our own enjoyment. We are serving for our own pleasure. That serving has, in fact, become about self-fulfillment. When we hold this way of thinking up against the example of our Lord Jesus, we soon see the profound effect our consumer culture has had upon us. Did Jesus wash his disciples' feet because he enjoyed it? Was feet washing something he was passionate about? No, he did it because God had gifted him the health to be able to kneel and wash and the wisdom to see that this lesson was something they deeply needed. In fact, it was Jesus' primary passion to love his father and his disciples that enabled him to endure the humiliation of washing their feet. What gifts... Has God given you gifts of time, gifts of talent, gifts of treasure? 
Are you living as though these are resources for your own self-fulfillment? Or that God has given them to you to love and serve the people in this room? See, I'm not just talking about signing up to a team or joining a roster, even though that might be a great place to start. I'm talking about a whole way of thinking of the purpose of your life. Verse 10, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Look at the word that Peter uses here. It's for a particular type of servant, a steward or a manager. See, a steward is a servant who oversees the possessions of their master to ensure that these possessions are used for the master's purpose. Here, the possessions are the varied gifts that God has entrusted to each person. Their health, their wealth, their skills, their abilities, their passions, their energy, their spiritual gifts, etc. And here, the master's purpose is also made clear to serve the church community. Do we view ourselves as managers overseeing God's resources? I had this conversation with someone uh, just this past week who was so honest about their struggles in this area and how their natural inclination is, is actually just to serve in things they like and to be disinterested in things they don't. And I think we can all completely relate to it, can't we? That we feel the same way. We hear of a need in the community, for example, recently in kids, for kids' workers, and we intuitively think, that's not for me. That seems hard. See, a good manager doesn't first consider their passions. They consider their resources. Do we have the resource to make this happen? A good manager doesn't say, which of my master's needs would I most enjoy meeting? I'll just serve in those. The good manager instead asks, what are the greatest needs of my master right now? And how can I be of service? Or put into our passage, where does my community most need help? And how can I best serve them? See, as I look out across this room, I can just see example after example after example of people who live and breathe this. Sacrificially giving, forsaking the lifestyle of others to be generous towards this community. Cooking meals, giving lifts, praying for people without ceasing, pausing to encourage the discourage, extending hospitality, sharing the gospel, carrying the heavy burdens of others, serving with those who can never repay, serving in areas they do not enjoy but doing it with genuine joy, serving on multiple teams, arriving early, staying late, sacrificing opportunities for the kids to be at church and to love others. But just because there's so many wonderful examples, it doesn't mean we can't grow This message, it really comes from a desire to see God fan our hearts aflame for costly service for the glory of Jesus. And I think if we would live faithfully as a community in life of the truth that Jesus is coming again soon, we must see ourselves rightly, that we are servants. But not just that, with the rest of our time, we've got two more points to examine. And the second is, the grace that empowers service. See, if we're honest, a significant barrier to living out our identity as servants is simply a lack of desire for it, isn't it? We know we should be passionate about serving, but we just feel 
in one word. I think this word's a powerful word. It says so much. We feel meh. Isn't that true? Some of us just feel tired with life. We, maybe we live alone and jobs feel overwhelming. Maybe we have small children. We're running on little sleep. Maybe we have a high-pressure job. We're working late, maybe 60-plus hours a week. Maybe we have poor health and things are hard. Some of us have just had negative experiences. We've served before and we've felt burnt out. We've found serving challenging. We've found it difficult and so we're hesitant and we don't want to have a repeat experience again. As some of us might feel like we just don't have much to offer. Like we kind of feel like I don't know what to say to people, you know, when, when I serve. I don't feel particularly wise. I'm not sure I have many skills or gifts. I feel kind of weak in this area, and so I, I just kind of feel out of place. And so I just feel like, I don't know. And so the thought of getting more involved in serving others, or even just continuing in serving as you are, it makes you feel slightly queasy. Well, if that's how you feel, there's wonderful gospel news for you in this passage. God has given you amazing grace for everything you need to serve. And there's two points that he really highlights in uh, this passage, both of them in verse 11. Firstly, God has given us the wisdom we need to serve. Verse 11 says this, Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles or sayings of God. You might read this and feel like, oh great, so I need to be a sage effectively in order to serve. But that's not what it's saying, not at all. It's saying we serve people not with our own words, but with God's words. Put another way, we don't need our own wisdom. We only need God's wisdom to serve. And this can be a real challenge in serving others. We feel we lack wisdom and even knowing what to say to be able to serve them. I feel like I've been experiencing this personally so much recently. A person comes to you and they share with you a secret sin or a challenge they're facing, something deeply painful and personal. And in that moment, you have no idea what to say. You feel speechless. The temptation, on one hand, is to just draw on your life experience and give some worldly wisdom. You'll feel better in time. That's not that bad. Think positive. You just need rest. When I was in that situation, I just did dot, dot, dot. Another temptation is just simply to avoid ever being in that circumstance. Feel like, I've got no wisdom to offer at all. I don't know what to say, so I just won't go near anyone enough that they might share that with me. Well, if you feel like you lack wisdom, that's perfect. Because you have the wisdom. You have the oracles of God himself right here in his word. You don't need to know what to say. You've got passages like Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Or Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You can carry a conversation with someone in confidence, knowing you have his wisdom. Secondly, not just that God has given us the wisdom we need to serve, but God has promised the strength we need to serve as well. That second half of that verse, that says this, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies. That is serving by means of God's strength. Looking to God as the source of strength to serve, turning to him in prayer and asking for strength, serving in dependence on him. It's exactly the encouragement that began our section. Uh, in verse 7 of our chapter, it says this, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. 
Seeing the end is near is a call to have the right perspective on life and therefore to be sober-minded and to pray, to ask God to be at work. You see, the simple truth is that faithful, sacrificial serving can be exhausting. You're a gospel community leader, and it's the end of a difficult week, and you find yourself again preparing to love and serve your group. You're exhausted, but you're carrying on to serve. And an SMS comes in from a member saying that they feel too tired. We've all felt this. But the inside scoop for the gospel community leader is that they don't have an option to to skip this meeting at all. They're going to carry on serving regardless. And so the feeling is further exhaustion. You're an SG Kids leader. You're plagued by sickness in your household. You've missed church. You're finally back. You're excited to be together, sitting under the preaching, and you realize you're rusted on toddlers this week. You're walking alongside someone in your gospel community. They have a challenging personality. It's an emotional roller coaster, constantly feeling like they dump your, their struggles on you, and you're at the end of your tether. It's possible to kind of try and carry serving these people in these circumstances in our own strength. Will yourself to serve. Come on, Brendan. Just suck it up and do it. You might continue that for a while, but it's a recipe for burnout. You're going to lack joy. You're going to serve from duty. And eventually you're going to become bitter and you're going to throw in the towel. This passage is saying that if we turn to God in prayer, we can trust he will provide the strength that we need. You know, friends, if I'm honest, I experienced this just uh, the past week. Uh, not this last week, the one before. Uh, our household has been struggling with sickness for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I was driving home from the offices just feeling absolutely exhaust, uh, exhausted and knowing that our gospel community was meeting that evening. And I found myself just not being keen at all to lead our gospel community and just praying in the car as I was driving, Lord, strengthen me. I need your help to love and serve these people. And what did I experience that night? Just this beautiful joy in coming together and meeting with God's people. That is the strength that God promises he will provide. Karen Jobes puts it this way, when those who speak utter God's words rather than their own, and those who serve do so in God's strength rather than their own, God through Jesus Christ receives the glory. God receives the glory because he is the one who has provided the wisdom and the strength for ministry. Isn't that so true? Well, you can have this beautiful confidence in serving church because we know that the Lord Jesus is able to provide us with everything we need to serve. Why? Because no one has ever served or will ever serve like he has served us. He is the king of kings. He could have come with trumpet blast on golden chariots, every knee bowing, but he came in squalor. He came in insignificance. He came to live a simple life, a life that there's even very few accounts of for all but three of his years. He came as a servant in perfect obedience to the will of his father to sacrificially love and serve others. He surrendered his desires and passions to the will of God willingly went to the cross to serve not his own interests, but ours. He suffered, he persevered, strengthened by God, conquered the cross and the grave and is coming again. And so as we 
wait. He lives to intercede and strengthen us to serve as well. Isn't that beautiful? This is the grace, friends, that empowers our service. The grace of the Lord Jesus, the servant king. And just to glimpse it is to want to serve and be like him. Well, we've got one last point. Uh, as we kind of draw a close to this message, that's point number three, cultivating a heart to serve. See, I wonder if some might be sitting here and feeling somewhat convicted of the way our culture has been shaping you, that you have not embraced your identity as a servant, but rather you've been living more with a consumer mentality. Maybe some here are aware that they've been living as servants, but they feel a kind of burden this morning of God calling them deeper, deeper into more self-denial, more service of others for his glory. The question I want us to think about is how can we grow? How can we cultivate together a heart to serve? Well, I've got a handful of points I want to share with us as we finish up our time together. And I don't want you to try and implement all these. I just think these are some ideas that I think will help us to grow in this area. Sometimes it's wise just to consider even picking a couple of these as things that you could action upon to really grow in this area. And the first is this. It's prayer. You know, I think so often we consider prayer as just like, oh, well, of course, you've got to say that the Christian checklist. But that is not the case. This is one of the most powerful, one of the most life-changing things we can do to grow in this area. See, if you're struggling to have an eternal perspective, if you're struggling to see the glory of Christ, if you're struggling to live as a genuine servant and to have that heart, you can ask God to transform you, to transform your heart, to make it like Christ, to surrender all your gifts to his full control, to renounce ownership of them. We're even going to have an opportunity uh, right this morning here. We've got on our schedule this ministry prayer at the end of the service where we just invite anyone who wants to be prayed for to come forward and receive prayer. And, and if, you, if you're really feeling this is a struggle for you to view yourself as a servant, I want to invite you. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself. Come forward. Ask someone to pray for you. But secondly, not just prayer. Uh, I think one of the best things we can do is actually to do a stock take, to take stock of the gifts God has given you. You know, if we're going to be managers, if we're going to manage the gifts God has given us, we actually need to know what our resources are. And given that there are so many things God has given us, this will require some time and planning. You're probably going to need to find some time to give this a careful consideration. And for many of us, school holidays is actually a pretty good time. Uh, so you might have a window of opportunity even right over the next two weeks. Uh, I, I want to encourage you, start small. Pick an item out of your time, your talents, or your treasure to review about how you could be growing as a servant with those resources. Uh, you could ask a friend to help you. Uh, that's always a wonderful opportunity. A friend who loves Christ, who can give honest counsel to you. Uh, Coming up, there's a slide uh, for our Serve Refresh. This is a a wonderful program that's really aimed to help give you some clarity on the resources that you have and then think about how you might use those for God's glory to love and serve people in this church. Uh, It will take you through things like the resources that you have, things like your spiritual gifts and the things that God has given you that you're passionate about. 
And then when you finish it, it will give you an opportunity to meet with someone from the pastoral team just to continue the conversation about how in your season you might be able to love and serve those around you in our church community. Which brings us to... Uh, oh, by the way, if that's going to be coming up at the end, all you need to do is get your phone out and scan that QR code and it'll take you straight to the site so you can save it in your phone. And it's also up on the hub as well. You can find it there if you're interested in signing up to serve Refresh. The third thing, which is massive, is just simply find out what the needs are. Ask around and find out what needs exist in our church community. You, you might want to reach out to your gospel community leader, um, they will probably be aware of needs that exist uh, within your gospel community. You could reach out to us as a pastoral team. We'd love to share with you uh, the needs that currently exist in our church. A really big one on this point is, as Austin already said this morning, I I would invite you to prayerfully consider joining the 5 p.m. service. In fact, honestly, as a team, we would love every member of this church to prayerfully consider joining the 5 p.m. service. Obviously not to go to the 5 p.m. service because that would defeat the whole purpose of starting a new service. We'd have no one at 10 a.m. and everyone at 5 p.m. But to prayerfully consider. I think our deepest intuition is to say, 5 p.m. sounds great, but no thanks. I kind of enjoy it right here. The servant's question isn't, what do I enjoy most? The servant's question is, how can I best use what God has given me for his glory? You know, going to join this service, it may well be hard. But maybe hard is what will best glorify Jesus and grow you in your faith. If we're going to reach people as a church and plant churches and grow, we're going to need people willing to joyfully embrace costly service. So I want to invite you to consider joining us on the 15th of October to, to really think and pray about it as well. There's a guarantee with that. Sacrifice for Christ is a path to much joy in your life, even in the costly. A fourth uh, encouragement or way to grow is simply this. It's just to be present. Commit yourself to the ministry of just showing up each and every week. See, it's so easy in our culture to think about church in terms of what we gain rather than what we can give. To come to be served rather than to come to serve. And I think the fruit of that is we tell ourselves things like this. I know I should go, but there's this other good thing on, and I'm not on a roster this week. So it's really me not being here is not going to make any difference to anyone else, is it? I just put to you, that's wrong. It's the wrong way of thinking. The truth is that the greatest way we can serve is actually the gift of our presence each and every week. To come each week with the mindset, the identity of a servant. To even pray in the morning in the lead up to the service, who might I be able to encourage this week? You never know what conversation you could have in a Sunday morning as you talk to someone seeking to serve them here and encourage them. That encouragement in Christ from you could change their life. To come each week with a mindset of service is a powerful, powerful thing. But lastly, not just praying, not just doing a stock take and finding the needs and being present. Finally, we can grow in this by remembering who we serve. We serve the Lord Jesus. 
The truth is, serving can be laborious. It can be challenging. It can be difficult until we consider the one that we're actually serving. Our Lord Jesus. And to be his servant, friends, is the greatest of all privileges. Verse 11, at the end of it, puts it so well. It says, In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know, one day your life on this earth, as you know it, will come to an end. You might breathe your last breath surrounded by family or Christ may return. Either way, you'll be ushered into the presence of King Jesus who will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Would you pray with me as we close? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the privilege of knowing Christ. The Lord Jesus, the matchless king, the servant king who came to teach us your heart, your way, the way of Christ, the way of costly service. Lord, as your people this morning, we confess we often do not think this way. We have been deeply affected by our culture of consumerism. And so often we see not the path of sacrifice in the way of Christ, but the path of self-fulfillment in serving for our own needs and pleasure. Lord, help us to see the way of Christ. Help us to delight in the privilege of extending to others, even in a small way, what you have extended to us. Lord, I thank you for the many beautiful examples of Christ's exalting service that exist in this community. But I ask you, Lord God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Christ, fan us aflame as a church with a love for one another and a love for the Lord Jesus that leads to many, 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 many more examples of joyfully devoting ourselves to sacrificially serve one another for the glory of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.